0: Nationwide riots with looting, violence, and arson, the President and the Insurrection Act. Professor Daniel Farber of Berkeley Law guides us through it. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Thank you for joining us, Professor Farber. How are things going up there in Berkeley? Oh,
1: I think we're coping pretty well, all things considered.
0: Yeah, it is definitely some challenging times. You know, our, our nation has uh, been going through uh, quite a few uh, major issues uh, uh, this year. Uh, 2020, certainly not off with a great start, but, uh, you know, there's the chaos, the uncertainty of COVID-19 shutdowns, which are now turning into reopenings. And of course, there was the killing of George Floyd during an arrest by the Minneapolis police, which caused lawful protests across the country, but also nationwide unlawful riots with instances of vandalism theft, violence to persons, and fires to properties. And so at the time of this recording, Professor, it appears that the intensity of the unrest is subsiding, but it's still a serious issue. But uh, events like this test the strength of our institutions. And I think people around the country, and I think fairly so, will start to critique the government's response to these crises. You know, Governors and mayors have their hands full with lawful protesters, the illegal riots, of course, the health epidemic. And so, you know, it makes it pretty difficult for them to uh, do all of that, maintain the law. And as a result, President Trump stepped in earlier this week and stated that his administration is looking at a military response to help quell the violence in the various states that are having difficulty enforcing the law at the moment. But um, you know, I don't think that will come up as the the violence subsides. I don't think that that's going to be an issue. But of course, that raised the scepter of the Insurrection Act. And being that it's uh, coming up, With elections coming up here pretty soon, Professor, I think people are going to start asking questions about the emergency powers that we give our governing bodies. And so let's use that as a starting point, Professor. If you could tell us about the history of the Insurrection Act of 1807, its amendments, and where it stands today, I think that'd be a great starting point.
1: Okay, great. Uh, The uh, Insurrection Act actually goes almost all the way back to the beginning of the country. The first form of it was passed under. Thomas Jefferson when he was president way back. And it's been amended a few times, uh, some mostly small changes just for clarification. I think the biggest change was after the Civil War when it was expanded to include protection of civil rights as one of the uh, justifications for using the military. Again, there have been further tweaking. After Hurricane Katrina, there was an amendment that expanded the act to cover natural disasters, but that was repealed after about a year. People were afraid it gave the president too much power. So really, it's been in the more or less the form it is uh, today for well over a
0: century. Professor, as I understand it, the uh, the Insurrection Act, there's some pretextual events and conditions that must take place before the president has the right to use it. So can you walk us through those? Sure, I'll be glad to. Uh, The president
1: can't send in the military uh, just willy-nilly. It's only under certain circumstances. And they all relate to violence, to civil unrest uh, in one form or another. The first situation is where the governor of a state requests it or the state legislature, uh, as the case may be. I think that's not what people have been concerned about in the current situation, uh, or probably not going forward either. The other two are when uh, it's necessary to use troops in order to protect civil rights, when the state government isn't able or willing to protect those civil rights, and when it's necessary to prevent interference with the enforcement of federal law. So the general situation where it's most frequently been used has been where the state requests it, and the others are somewhat narrow dealing with civil rights and federal law enforcement,
0: and the president, as I understand, it has to give some notice that uh, he or she is going to step in and use this power, and then these powers expire. Correct?
1: Well, they uh, they don't have a strict timetable, but they only last presumably as long as the emergency does. Uh, and yeah, and you're right; the president does have to give a notice, essentially warning people to go back to their homes before he, you know the the army can come in with guns blazing or something like that.
0: Authority to act. So I was doing some research on the Insurrection Act, professor, and what I discovered was that there's kind of two tranches of source of authority that uh, legal scholars kick around that uh, they say are the source ultimately of the president's power to bring the Insurrection Act. The first is the inherent authority contained in the Constitution, Article 2, Section 3, and the other is more statutory. So our country has a history of militia acts, and eventually that evolved into the Insurrection Act. And of course, there's been some follow-up case law. So can you help us navigate those waters of the tranches of authority?
1: Well, as you say, the first arises directly from the Constitution, from the power of the president as the head of the executive branch and uh, the duty to carry out the laws. The parameters of that one are pretty vague. And it's not clear to what extent they would actually apply here, but they are that is something that the president can use as kind of a fallback argument. The rest of it's statutory from the Insurrection Act, and the Insurrection Act itself is based on various powers that the Constitution gives Congress. So really we're mostly talking about statutory authority here.
0: All right. The Posse Comitatus Act of 1897. I know it doesn't apply so much today, but I wanted to bring it up because it uh, taps into the ethos of our country's desire not to have military intervention in domestic affairs. And so tell us a little bit about that act and how it would historically impact the president's ability to utilize military force for domestic matters. So that act was passed, as you say, at the end of the 19th century. And I think
1: in large part, it was a reaction to the aftermath of the Civil War. After the war for quite a number of years, the Union Army really occupied the South and helped keep order and at some points actually acted as kind of a substitute government. And I think there was a view uh, later that that was really extraordinary, not the kind of thing we wanted to have happen. Obviously, people in the South were, uh, many of them, very bitter about it. So uh, this law really restricts the ability of the federal government to use the military for law enforcement. And it actually does apply in a number of circumstances today, but it has some exceptions. And one of those exceptions is the Insurrection Act. So one of the reasons the president might try to use the Insurrection Act, as opposed to, for example, just general... Disaster Response or Emergency Response Authority is to allow the use
0: for law enforcement purposes. So, Professor, I have two last questions for you, So, but I'm going to set it up just talking about past uses of the Insurrection Act. And so I wanted to bring this up because there is some prescripted recent history utilizing this act. It's not an ancient clause that we haven't used in over 100 years. And so, you know, during the 1950s and 60s, both Presidents Eisenhower and Kennedy used the Insurrection Act to help desegregate the South and, and quell violence during those transitions. And then following up on that, President Johnson utilized the the act in the 1960s to uh, quell riots in Detroit, Baltimore, Washington, D.C. and Chicago. And then fast forward to 1989, President George Herbert Walker Bush uh, used it to stop looting in the Virgin Islands following Hurricane Hugo. And then once again in 1992, same president, Los Angeles riots try to bring some peace there. And so... I know that the role of the military in those instances was different. It wasn't quite the same from situation to situation, but I wanted to use that as a setup for this question. I know that this is part of that scholarly thought behind the Insurrection Act and the role of the military. So, Professor, what can the military troops do and what can't they do when it comes to enforcement of local law? Uh,
1: I think the military troops under the Insurrection Act do have enforcement powers uh, I think they could, uh, for example, make arrests and so forth. Uh, What they do is still subject to the constitution. Uh, So they have to comply with uh, legal requirements about, I suppose, everything from Miranda warnings to uh, search and seizure and excessive use of force. I think there's a lot of concern among experts uh, in disaster response and other situations about whether the army is really well-equipped to play that role. They're really basically trained to fight wars or to help with natural disasters in the case of the National Guard. But they do have pretty broad legal power uh, once the Insurrection Act comes into play.
0: And last question for you, Professor. And so just based on what we've seen, and I know that the uh, the riots seem to be decreasing and the country seems to be finding more peaceful footing, but let's just assume for the sake of this last question for discussion that the trend was continuing, that the intensity was the same, and that the local government and the state government response was the same. Do you think President Trump would be safely within his right to bring the Insurrection Act based on those circumstances?
1: Uh, that's a little bit of a complicated question. Sure. I think I think technically, if I were to say the president's lawyer, I would say that I think there are some real concerns about whether the Insurrection Act does apply at all, whether it's properly invoked without a request for a governor in this situation. On the other hand, I would probably also have to tell the president that whatever decision he made, the courts were not likely to interfere with that. Uh, where the courts might get involved is in looking at the specific actions taken under the Insurrection Act to see if they were really necessary. But I think, I think in terms of could the president do this and not be uh, uh, knocked down by the courts, I think the answer is yes. Uh, in many ways, the president has the final call about this. But uh, as the president's lawyer, I would still say, you know, you need to comply with the law Uh, regardless, and that I think it's kind of doubtful that it would be proper here.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Professor. I think an educational discussion, and uh, I I know at least I got a lot of it. I think our listeners will too. But uh, if our listeners, they want to follow up, learn more about uh, what we talked about today, or maybe even follow up with you about going potentially to Berkeley Law, how can they find you?
1: I'm on the Berkeley Law School website, and it gives my email and other information about me,
0: and I'm uh, happy to respond to emails. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. We'll cite and make available our sources for this episode on our website, legaltalknetwork.com. Also, want to give a quick shout out to Danielle Crockett-Ginty. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. Uh, She wrote an abstract paper, which I used to For my questions for this episode. It was titled The Insurrection Act and Executive Power to Respond with Force to Natural Disasters. It was primarily centered around Hurricane Katrina, but it really mapped the issue out nicely for me. And she also put me in uh, contact with Professor Daniel Farber and uh, helped me set this interview up. So thank you very much, Daniel. Much appreciated. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Stay strong, America.